Chapter 9 of The Innocents Abroad by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. About the first adventure we had yesterday afternoon after landing here came near finishing that heedless blucher. We had just mounted some mules and asses and started out under the guardianship of the stately, the princely, the magnificent Haji Muhammad Lamarti, may his tribe increase, when we came upon a fine Moorish mosque with a tall tower, rich with checkerwork of many-colored porcelain, and every part and portion of the edifice adorned with the quaint architecture of the Alhambra. And Blucher started a ride into the open doorway. A startling hi-hi from our camp followers, and a loud halt from an English gentleman in the party checked the adventurer, and then we were informed that so dire a profanation is it for a Christian dog to set foot upon the sacred threshold of a Moorish mosque that no amount of purification can ever make it fit for the faithful to pray in again. Had Blucher succeeded in entering the place, he would no doubt have been chased through the town and stoned. And the time has been, and not many years ago either, when a Christian would have been most ruthlessly slaughtered if captured in a mosque. We caught a glimpse of the handsome tessellated pavements within, and of the devotees performing their ablutions at the fountains. But even that we took that glimpse was a thing not relished by the Moorish bystanders. Some years ago, the clock in the tower of the mosque got out of order, and the Moors of Tangiers have so degenerated that it has been long since there was an artificer among them capable of curing so delicate a patient as a dilapidated clock. The great men of the city met in solemn conclave to consider how the difficulty was to be met. They discussed the matter thoroughly, but arrived at no solution. Finally a patriarch arose and said, O children of the prophet, it is known unto you that a Portuguese dog of a Christian clockmender pollutes the city of Tangier with his presence. Ye know also that when mosques were builded, asses bear the stones and the cement and cross the sacred threshold. Now, therefore, send the Christian dog on all fours and barefoot into the holy place to mend the clock and let him go as an ass. And in that way it was done. Therefore, if Blucher ever sees the inside of a mosque, he will have to cast aside his humanity and go in his natural character. We visited the jail and found Moorish prisoners making mats and baskets. This thing of utilizing crime savors of civilization. Murder is punished with death. A short time ago, three murderers were taken beyond the city walls and shot. Moorish guns are not good, and neither are Moorish marksmen. In this instance, they set up the poor criminals at long range like so many targets and practiced on them, kept them hopping around and dodging bullets for half an hour before they managed to drive the center. When a man steals cattle, they cut off his right hand and left leg and 
nail them up in the marketplace as a warning to everybody. Their surgery is not artistic. They slice around the bone a little and then break off the limb. Sometimes the patient gets well, but as a general thing, he don't. However, the Moorish heart is stout. The Moors were always brave. These criminals undergo the fearful operation without a wince, without a tremor of any kind, without a groan. No amount of suffering can bring down the pride of a Moor or make him shame his dignity with a cry. Here marriage is contracted by the parents of the parties to it. There are no valentines, no stolen interviews, no riding out, no courting in dim parlors, no lovers' quarrels and reconciliations, no nothing that is proper to approaching matrimony. The young man takes the girl his father selects for him and marries her, and after that she is unveiled and he sees her for the first time. If after due acquaintance she suits him, he retains her. But if he suspects her purity, he bundles her back to her father. If he finds her diseased, the same. Or if, after just the reasonable time is allowed her, she neglects to bear children, back she goes to the home of her childhood. Mohammedans here can afford to keep a good many wives on hand. They are, they are called wives, though I believe the Koran only allows four genuine wives. The rest are concubines. The Emperor of Morocco don't know how many wives he has, but thinks he has five hundred. However, that is near enough. A dozen or so, one way or the other, don't matter. Even the Jews in the interior have a plurality of wives. I've caught a glimpse of the faces of several Moorish women, for they are only human, and they will expose their faces for the admiration of a Christian dog when no male Moor is by, and I am full of veneration for the wisdom that leads them to cover up such atrocious ugliness. They carry their children at their backs in a sack like other savages the world over. Many of the Negroes are held in slavery by the Moors, but the moment a female slave becomes her master's concubine, her bonds are broken, and as soon as a male slave can read the first chapter of the Koran, which contains the creed, he can no longer be held in bondage. They have three Sundays a week in Tangier. The Mohammedans comes on Friday, the Jews on Saturday, and that of the Christian consuls on Sunday. The Jews are the most radical. The Moor goes to his mosque about noon on his Sabbath, as on any other day, removes his shoes at the door, performs his ablutions, makes his salams, pressing his forehead to the pavement time and again, says his prayers, and goes back to his work. But the Jew shuts up shop, will not touch copper or bronze money at all, soils his finger with nothing meaner than silver and gold, attends the synagogue devoutly, and will not cook or have anything to do with fire, and religiously refrains from embarking in any enterprise. The Moor, who has made a pilgrimage to Mecca, is entitled to high distinction. Men call him Haji. 
and he is thenceforward a great personage hundreds of moors come to tangier every year and embark for mecca they go part of the way in english steamers and ten or twelve dollars they pay for passage is about all the trip costs they take with them a quantity of food and when the commissary department fails they skirmish as jack terms it with his sinful slangy way from the time they leave till the time they get home again they never wash either on land or sea they're usually gone from five to seven months and as they do not change their clothes during all that time they are totally unfit for the drawing-room when they get back many of them have to rake and scrape a long time to gather together the ten dollars that steamer passage costs and when one of them gets back he is bankrupt forever few moors can ever build their fortunes up again in one short lifetime after so reckless an outlay in order to confine the dignity of haji to gentlemen of patrician blood and possessions the emperor decreed that no man should make the pilgrimage save bloated aristocrats who were worth a hundred dollars in specie but behold how inequity can circumvent the law for a consideration the jewish money changer lends the pilgrim one hundred dollars long enough for him to swear himself through and then receives it back before the ship sails out of the harbor spain is the only nation the moors fear the reason is that spain sends her heaviest ships of war and her loudest guns to astonish these muslims while america and other nations send only a little contemptible tub of a gunboat occasionally the moors like other savages learn by what they see not what they hear or read we have great fleets in the mediterranean but they seldom touch at african ports the moors have a small opinion of england france and america and put their representatives to a deal of red tape circumlocution before they grant them their common rights let alone a favor but the moment the spanish minister makes a demand it is acceded to at once whether it be just or not spain chastised the moors five or six years ago about a disputed piece of property opposite gibraltar and captured the city of tetuan she compromised on an augmentation of their territory twenty million dollars indemnity and money and peace and then she gave up the city but she never gave it up until the spanish soldiers had eaten up all the cats they would not compromise as long as the cats held out the spaniards are very fond of cats on the contrary the moors reverence for cats is something sacred so the spaniards touched upon them in a tender point that time their unfeline conduct in eating up all the tetuan cats aroused a hatred towards them in the breast of the moors to which even driving them out of spain was tame and passionless the moors and spaniards are foes forever now France has a minister here who once embittered the nation against him in a most innocent way. He killed a couple of battalions of cats, Tangier is full of them, and made a parlor carpet out of their hides. 
he made his carpet circles first a circle of old gray tomcats with their tails all pointing toward the center then a circle of yellow cats next a circle of black cats and a circle of white ones then a circle of all sorts of cats and finally a centerpiece of assorted kittens it was very beautiful but the moors curse his memory to this day when we went to call on the american consul general today i noticed that all the possible games for parlor amusement seemed to be represented on his center tables i thought that hinted at lonesomeness the idea was correct his is the only american family in tangier there are many foreign consuls in this place but much visiting is not indulged in here tangier is clear out of the world and what is the use of visiting when people have nothing on earth to talk about there is none so each consul's family stays at home chiefly and amuses itself as best it can tangier is full of interest for one day but after that it is a weary prison the consul general has been here five years and has got enough of it to do him for a century and is going home shortly his family seize upon their letters and papers when the mail arrives read them over and over again for two days or three talk them over and over again for two or three more till they wear them out and after that for days together they eat drink and sleep and ride out over the same old road and see the same old tiresome things that even decades of centuries have scarcely changed and never say a single word they have literally nothing whatever to talk about the arrival of an american man-of-war is a godsend to them oh solitude where are the charms that sages have seen in thy face it is the completest exile that i can conceive of i would seriously recommend it to the government of the united states that when a man commits a crime so heinous that the law provides no adequate punishment for him they make him consul general to tangier i am glad to have seen tangier the second oldest town in the world but i am ready to bid it good-bye i believe we shall go thence to gibraltar this evening or in the morning and doubtless the quaker city will sail from that port within the next forty-eight hours End of chapter 9, recording by B. Scott Holmes, bscotthomes.com.